0: You're tuned into a very special book club edition of the Comics Pals. Uh, we've done one before about Spider-Man when Homecoming came out, and today we're doing one about Thor Ragnarok. So the big stars of Thor Ragnarok are Thor and the Hulk, and we're going to be talking about two of their classic storylines here today. Uh, and we've got all the pals on deck. How you guys doing? This is special.
1: Yeah, I'm really glad to be back for another one of these book club episodes. I'm really into this idea.
2: I'm glad that I was told I had to be back for one of these episodes. So it's really, really chugging on all uh, all tracks. Here. Are you glad? Man, that metaphor made no sense. Thanks, Kale. I'm
3: um, I'm glad I was I'm glad I was invited back to the Comics Pals after my hiatus.
4: Yeah, don't. Yeah, you're lucky you're back. Don't forget <laughs> probational period.
0: <laughs> Rough. Uh, so the books that we are going to be talking about here today are Planet Hulk um a, an absolute classic um everyone has everyone who reads comics has either heard of this or read it themselves so uh i'm really excited to talk about that one and then we're also talking about avengers disassembled thor uh a book that has absolutely nothing to do with avengers disassembled but instead functions as basically the last thor story ever it's obviously not the last thor story ever um but we'll go into more <laughs> Of that a little later. Uh, So the way I want to start this is I want to start by talking about Planet Hulk. Um, So we're going to talk about the run itself, but I also want to make sure that we talk about how it relates to Thor Ragnarok, if at all. Uh, Obviously, there are some major elements that were scooped From this book for the film. So we'll go into that stuff. And of course, this is going to be a full spoiler conversation. So if you've not read Planet Hulk and you want to be saved from the uh, 10 year old spoilers, then you might want to not listen to this right now. But uh, if you want to hear the Comics Pals dish on one of the better uh, Hulk stories ever, then stay tuned for that. Um, So I'm going to start by giving us some context for how planet hulk starts and why it happens uh so for those of you who are unfamiliar uh hulk goes on a rampage in las vegas uh that results in somehow no deaths but a lot of destruction and after of course plenty of prior events where the hulk is you know going off in the united states uh, and causing plenty of destruction the illuminati decide that the hulk is no longer fit for uh, civilization that there's nowhere on earth that the Hulk is safe or that people are safe from him. And so they trick him into going into space, uh, to deal with a rogue satellite. Uh, the ship that he's, that he goes into space on actually has another destination though. And it takes him supposed to take him to an uninhabited planet, but it goes through a wormhole and he comes out the other side on Sakaar. So, that's that's kind of how things uh, start off. So, um, we don't need to follow any, necessar- any pattern here, necessarily. We don't have to start from the beginning of the story, per se, but um, I do want to open the floor to talk about what you guys think about Planet Hulk. So, whoever wants to jump in, just feel free.
3: As you guys know, I'm not as um, well-versed in a lot of the Marvel stuff, but... Um,
4: you? No. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's a well-kept <laughs> secret, but... Um, yeah, I was, I was, I was digging the book. It was, um, I, I've I've only ever heard of it. I've never actually read it, um, and so getting the chance to read it was a lot of fun. Um, and my impressions of it were just, it was, uh, it was pretty fun. It was, it was interesting, an interesting take, an interesting look at Hulk. Um, I think at least, and I think that the sort of environment where they placed them in was, uh, it worked with his with his character. Um, and he was written really well. The art was pretty good. Um yeah, just general impressions were, it was a fun read.
4: Do you see yourself in the Hulk, Marco?
3: Um Or do you see in no. the
0: Hulk in you?
3: I see the Hulk in me.
0: Hell yeah. <laughs> Gross. Uh so so marco uh read planet hulk for this episode i did as well is there anyone else on the podcast who had not read planet hulk prior to having to do it for this episode
2: yeah i haven't i had only read uh world war hulk which is the the sequel to this and uh, the culmination of the the whole sending him off thing um and i i really enjoyed that i thought even just that was um uh, an amazing premise Um but I've never been uh a huge fan of the Hulk. Um it's oh yeah, Jekyll and Hyde, we get it. Right. Uh but yeah, this was um really it was really fascinating to get to spend time with the Hulk himself. Um and the narration in the book uh wasn't his. And that uh that made it even more interesting because a lot of times you get, you know, the narration or the thought boxes from, from the main character and uh, you know most of the time you have to assume that's Banner so we never really hear from the Hulk and so this kind of goes to show that you know in Planet Hulk when we're hearing from the Hulk it's the Hulk speaking and it's pro-
0: like I would go as far as to assume what he's thinking um, so Phil and Pete I assume you guys you're, you're veterans of this series already right
4: yeah I read I read this like Uh, almost 10 years ago, I guess.
0: Yeah, same.
4: I
1: read it when it was, like, coming
0: out. Cool. So, uh, obviously this is a a series that's very, um, kind of epic, and there's a, there's a clear story through and through. It's not open-ended in any way. It has a clear beginning, middle, and end. What was it like to read this story as it was coming out? So, for me, this was, uh,
1: this was a story that came out, like, when I was in, I want to say my junior year of high school, I think. And um, it was like right when I was really getting really seriously into comics um, after kind of getting back into them uh, earlier that year. And uh, a friend of mine who I used to go to the shop with all the time was reading this book month to month. So I was like getting to read it as well. And, um, you know, I just remember I had never read a story about the Hulk before. I had never really been very interested in the Hulk before. And I got so invested in this story just because, you know, um, To Kale's point, I think it was really cool to focus on Hulk as a character and not as, um, like, a monster that is, you know, kind of, like, being dealt with by Banner. And I think uh, the sci-fi setting, the, like, kind of brutal, you know, like, warrior culture kind of thing is, like, a perfect setting for him. And um, it was just, you know, it was written really well, obviously. And, like, at the time, I didn't know who Greg Pak was or anything like that. And this was the first thing I ever read by him. And, uh, I thought it was really an interesting choice to make the Hulk, like, speak in complete sentences and actually, like, be a character and not be, like, grunting and, you know, like, speaking in broken English and all that kind of stuff. Like, I think those kinds of choices, um, across the board, you know, made it a very non-traditional superhero story that showed me that there was another way to tell stories with these, with these characters, you know? And um, it, it really just drew me in, you know, it has a good supporting cast uh, for the most part. A couple of them are a little one dimensional, but um, there's a lot here that works really well. And um, I think like I was surprised how much uh, I felt it held up, you know, that like I going back to it so many years later that I actually think it's, um, you know, as good.
2: I legit I would put this book on the level of Hawkeye and Vision.
1: Oh, I,
2: I, I wouldn't I think, say that, I think, and I'm
1: a big fan.
0: Well, let's no. I mean, let's, let's let Phil say his piece about what he, th- you know, what he thought about the book when he first read it, and coming back to it.
4: I read this book when I was, uh, I must have been in like the eighth, ninth, tenth grade. It was um, fairly early when I was really getting serious in the comics. Um, I was really active on a message board at the time, and I remember at that time, um, Hulk was extremely saturated with that community. Um, He was just talked about all the time to the point where he he was insufferable. Kind of like Wolverine, too, at that time. Like, those two characters, um, the way that comics fans talked about them on forums, it made you really dislike the characters. Um, And uh, I read World War Hulk first, because that's what was coming out at the time, and I really didn't enjoy it at the time, and I think I had a bad taste in my mouth going in. But I went back and read Planet Hulk afterwards, and that was so well done um uh i really like greg puck uh he when i was in new york last year uh gave me a present him and aaron cooter which i still have hanging on my wall of uh, superman unchained i'm a i'm a really big fan of his work I'm a, and i think I, I i've said this to him before um i think he's one of the most impactful writers on um, such a popular character i think hulk is one of the most like 10 most recognizable comical characters in comics um the only other author who i think had anywhere near as a meaningful impact on the character was peter david about eight years before who also did the very uh, articulate hulk like uh pock did um but the, it, what's what's great about this is that pock has so much opportunity to create and to craft he makes an entire ecosystem he makes an entire alien world of people and creates an entire social hierarchy he's able to just completely drop a character in the middle of an environment and just go do whatever you want with it he doesn't have to play within the borders of anything within marvel which is the greatest opportunity for any i, w- I wasn't as cognizant of writers back then in like 2006 2007 2008 as i am now um so i wasn't aware of who greg pock was but upon rereading it um, you see how good a writer he is in the pantheon of writers in 2017. And I think he's a little underrated in that regard. I, I don't think he gets as much credit as he does. And it's maybe because he's not, I mean, Tom King, for instance, is like the flavor of the month because he's just a hot up and coming author. And there's a lot of reason to be enthusiastic, but Park has been doing uh, his crap for, uh, since like 2004, I think, 2003. Um, He's such a spectacular talent. It's really exciting to be able to cover this book, this episode. Awesome. Uh,
0: For myself, I read it uh, very recently. And um, I had always known that it was good. Uh, As it was coming out, I was an active reader. Uh, Not of this book, though, because I, like Phil, had a negative perception of the Hulk. Um, And I... I guess I had always assumed that Hulk comics were bad, just because I, I couldn't really, like, I just couldn't imagine what the good story was there, um, which is pretty, you know, naive, but I was 16.
4: Um, and that's how a lot of us are when we're that age. We read books for the characters at that time, instead of for the author or the artist.
0: Yeah, I had, I had some idea yeah. of writers at that point, but if I, if I didn't hear of you, then I just assumed it was going to be bad. Um, yeah. and Greg Pak was not someone that I'd really heard of. Um, but shortly after the run started, I heard it was good, but I wasn't really, uh, aware of how to get issues that had already come out. I didn't know about back issues, so I just thought I would wait for the trade to come out. Uh, the trade came and went and I never picked it up. Um, but, uh, obviously this is a classic run, uh, reading it now i'm 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 really upset at myself quite frankly, that I didn't read it as it was coming out because it is so good, and I wish that I had the experience of sitting on some of those cliffhangers uh that's something that I, I love about comics um and I wish I'd given myself that opportunity um The writing is stellar right uh and it and Greg Pak has afforded an opportunity to take a character and put him somewhere that we've never seen before, right? So you could do a whatever 12-issue run on just Sakaar with no Hulk, you know? And that's a testament to the work that Greg put in to making this a real, or a, a world that feels lived in, you know? And then you then you yes. put the Hulk on there, and it's like, well, now you have juice. Now this is something... Uh, unique and special and worth talking about in an environment like this um,
1: so go I, I think like it takes a really confident writer to be able to like do something like that you know to like be able to take a character and put them in like a totally like foreign situation for them and not make it feel um, dissonant
0: yeah I, I absolutely agree with that I don't, I don't even know that that necessarily works with every character uh, and so that actually brings us to my first question, which is why do you guys think that the Hulk works so well in this kind of scenario? What what about the Hulk lends him to this and it going so well?
1: I think because of like the nature of the Hulk, like what his powers are, like he is, you know, his whole power is basically that he's it totally invulnerable, right? That like he's he's basically unkillable almost unharmable in some scenarios. His His strength scales basically infinitely, you know, and he's so hyper-powerful that in a regular setting on Earth, like, he's always the bomb, you know? And I think it makes it hard to tell compelling stories about a character like that for a long time, especially when, like, you compare him with someone who's of equal power, someone like Superman, what makes Superman compelling is that he's, like, a human being, and the Hulk is just a monster, usually. He's a raging monster, you know, and, like, there's only so much you can do with that that isn't popcorn comics, you know, if you're really trying to focus on the Hulk, and I think putting him in an alien situation where you have a chance, where it's a place where Banner would die, so he's never going to come out. We're just going to focus on the Hulk. It's an articulate Hulk. It's a place where he's allowed to just be the Hulk for a long time and then grow from that and show his, like, truer nature that we see him when we see him portrayed as a hero. And I, you, you give him a chance as a character to, like, um, thrive in this place because it is a place that is driven by war and battle, and that's what he thrives on.
2: Kale? Yeah, I actually I was gonna say uh pretty much the exact same thing. I don't think there's a better set of circumstances where you could really see the Hulk shine and make him uh, uh, really compelling other than the way this book did. Phil, you want to chime in there?
4: I don't think it's necessarily the Hulk as a character, to be honest with you. I think it's more of Greg Greg Pak's understanding of the character, putting that character in an environment where he can do something significant.
2: Um. Well, I mean, yeah, that's what writing is.
4: Right. Uh, like, And that's, that, that speaks to his quality as a writer. Um, I don't know. like, if it, So the idea of launching Hulk into space came from Marvel Editorial. I'm not sure if another writer who took over the title would have been able to make something as significant as Planet Hulk. There have been plenty of stories, Coliseum-type stories, where the uh, outcome isn't great. It's just fucking schlock. You know, and just have two characters wail on each other. Greg took a different route and made it something better. So clearly it was the thought of, like, oh, Hulk's a gladiator because he's strong. But in the thought here, like, what Greg did is Greg basically made Hulk Conan and did something really cool with it. Like, Conan but better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, turned –
1: I think that's, like, what Cale and I are trying to say is, like, the setting is, like, a place where Hulk's allowed to thrive. Because he's allowed to be a, a gladiator and a warrior, which is what he is, but in, like, in a world where him being that destructive force can be a force for good, you know, by causing the regrowth of the, you know, of the land and by freeing people who are in bondage, which is a thing he can't do on Earth, you know?
0: Marco, do you want to, uh, say your piece
3: on that? Uh, I, I agree with Pete and Kale, it's, um, uh it's very much i think the the setting that he's placed in like the world that he's dropped in that helps him um help him shine through as a character and uh, that's accented by Pac's writing
0: yeah and i think that um i think you, all of you guys are making good points like we've seen characters uh get this sort of treatment um the most immediate thought for me is rick remender's captain america run where captain america is displaced and uh he's he's uh placed on this weird planet where there are no other humans really and he's up against um uh zola and zola has created this world basically where he's kind of the boss and captain america has to work through that to defeat zola and save his son and all that good stuff um that's the closest kind of uh, similar story that i can think of at the moment and that one didn't work as well for me, and I think okay,
2: yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask. I, I honestly, I was probably gonna argue about about it with you because I, <laughs> I uh, yeah, I didn't like that at all, and I didn't think it worked. Why
0: didn't you think it worked?
2: It just didn't. It didn't. Like we've seen Cap, you know, he was frozen for a long time, and he's been like. The only um and and granted, let me let me preface this by saying I only read the dimension Z storyline, uh so I haven't read the remender stuff after that or what its effects are um we've seen cap before as the the character who is you know he's the man displaced from time and he ha- he's always just kind of out of touch because just of the nature of who he is and the circumstances that have brought him there uh but For me, Dimension Z, really, it tried to, like, recreate those circumstances, but also tell that story. And so finally, when Captain America came out of it, it didn't mesh well. Like, he was displaced in time, but he also wasn't. Right. Because he spent 50 years in this, you know, other dimension, and he had, like, a a barbarian life and a son and, you know, this whole thing. And then he came back, and he was just Captain America. It was fun.
0: I, I agree with that. Uh, and then the other, the other key point for me is that, and, and again, the comparison between those two stories is that, uh, you're right. The stakes in that book are very much about Captain America's life, his son's life, their existence, you know? Uh, when he comes out of that, it's like no time has really passed or whatever. Um, with Planet Hulk, the stakes, are what they are, you know, they are Hulk's life, the lives of these people who you now have come to care about, right? Now you care about all the Warbound, you care about the supporting cast, they matter to you, you want to see the Red King toppled because of the strength of what Pop does with this book. But then on top of that, when you get to the end, the stakes are taken to a whole other level, and it, and it turns out that this story actually mattered a lot. And was one of the most relevant stories that was told at that time, and then led into World War Hulk. So, just the fact that Pac was able to find meaning for characters who we didn't know, like, we've known the Hulk for, you know, how long? 50 years or something? Like, we've known him for a long time. Longer than that, yeah. Uh, And to to place meaning and value on characters who we only had known since issue one of Planet Hulk, I thought was excellently done. Uh,
2: He also... Like he also challenges the stakes on, especially in that first Planet Hulk issue, like fourteen or fifteen times. Like, you know, there's, uh, it may be in the second issue, like Hulk gets like lava poured on him, and it's like, Jesus, like, <laughs> what is gonna kill this? Right. Like,
0: he should be dead. And that's that's also a great point is that when the story begins, Hulk we see Hulk in a weakened state. Yes, yeah. you know, this right. isn't the Hulk that is the strongest one there is This is the hulk that's weakened by the crash, weakened by going through the wormhole. He's got this inhibitor chip, so he's kind of not the hulk that we're used to. Uh what was it like for you guys to see him in a different light like that?
3: It was refreshing for me cuz that's the only way I've ever I've ever perceived him. Um so it was it was nice to see him cuz you know the, the trope is always oh he can get out of everything. Oh, superheroes they'll you know, the they get they get down and then they win at the end, whatever. So it was nice, like to just start off with him just like getting just getting smacked. Basically, it was uh it was a different way to see him, and I I thought that was uh, an interesting way to start um the the story.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like it's classic narrative, right? I mean, like you have to have the character broken down so you can build him back up again, you mm-hmm. know, and like he's like really reborn as a different kind of character. In this story, you know, in this different world where he's allowed to thrive.
4: Yep. It it harkens back to the 1980 Superman story with uh, Len Wein and Jim Starlin, the Warworld story, where he gets basically abducted and trapped on Warworld with Mongol and um, has to do a very similar situation where he has to fight as a gladiator overcome these odds and overthrow a despot. Um however, unlike that story, uh Pac is given a lot of time to play with it and he's able to create a much more flushed out environment, I think. It's a good trope for a character like that where you we have a character who has an ability to overcome a lot of odds and they have to basically they're broken down and have to rise above it. It's like a it's a it's a kind of a Christ uh, arc where you have to overcome the devil on the mount sort of thing.
2: Sure. See, for me, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I necessarily felt the same way that I think you guys did. For me, it was always, well, the Hulk's the strongest there is, so he's gonna be fine. Uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Sure. I mean, even even through like getting smacked around a little bit, it's just like, well, I mean. He's he the Hulk. The Hulk. <laughs> He's fine. Like,
1: yeah, like, it doesn't matter, sure. right? Yeah. No, and even,
2: and even well, Yeah, but even though, he, I mean, even through, like I said, getting, like, lava poured on him, what was surprising to me was, wasn't just, like, his resilience through it all, it was especially as it progressed and, you know, he started, like, actually fighting, you know, the, the war games and, and then going through and uh, you know, hooking up with the the shadow lady. It was now he's playing a waiting game, and he's he just wants to be free, and he just wants to be left alone.
4: Do you relate to that really. kill? Sorry, do you relate to that kill? Yeah, <laughs>
2: that's all I want, but I can't get you jerks to quit calling me on Saturday. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but two hands, we need you.
0: Uh, let, let's talk about the supporting cast. Again, this is none of these characters existed prior to issue 1. So, how did you guys feel about them and and did you feel like you got to know them on an effective level by the time the story was over?
1: You know, it's funny, man, the book that this most made me think of was actually Omega Men.
0: Yeah. Um yeah. because of that,
1: Yeah,
2: I had that same thought.
1: You know, because of this because it was a very similar like classic hero fish out of water in this other random galaxy, gets swept up in a revolution kind of mm-hmm, thing, mm-hmm. and like, I I think like the reason that book works so well for all of us is like present here as well. That like they do a really good job of establishing like the stakes for the universe by giving you a cast of characters that are representative of the stakes, mm-hmm. right? Like Meek shows you gives you your entryway to like this subjugated native people who are like being exterminated. And, you know, like, we have, um, what was her name, uh, Eloy, I- Ila- 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 Ila-
3: Ila- something like that, yeah.
1: It was, like, E-O-L-A, something like that, yeah. Oela, something like yeah, that. Yeah, e- um, yeah, yeah, her and, and her guard, who are, like, the, you know, the human, the people who are supposed to humanize the Imperials to us, and I feel like the fact that we get all of those kinds of characters to show us who are the major players in this world, and why should we care about their plight, and, like, what humanizes them. Uh, is, is established really well. You know, and like, even though some of those characters are very, like, one dimensional, I don't feel get as much attention or development as others. Mm-hmm. Um, they're good enough as analogs for what they're supposed to
0: be. Who are those characters that you felt like didn't really get enough shine?
1: I feel like basically all of the characters that aren't, um, Meek uh-huh. don't really get the same level of arc as, as Meek and Hulk. You know, both of them, I feel like, have a clear, um, meaningful growth as characters, where a lot of the other characters feel like they're just kind of representative of a greater struggle, or exist as kind of like a, you know, plot device character. Mm-hmm. Like, um, what's his name? The uh, the rock guy, Korg. Right. Like, yeah. I like Korg, fine, mm-hmm. but like, there, there's no arc there.
3: They tried. They tried with the brother or whatever, but it did. It fell flat because it's like.
1: It happens so early yeah. that it's kind of like, okay, like, yeah. my brothers are dead, but I have battle brothers, so. And yeah, there just wasn't that much to it.
2: Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, his brother died, but, like, that's it. <laughs>
4: right. There's no there, there. There, where? Right. <laughs> what? No, There's you know, it's no like. There, there. I'm just
1: gonna no sell fill here. Um, <laughs> I think it's just like, we get why he has skin in the game, but the, like,. It's because they tell us he has skin in the game, right? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. like he was a victim of this. His brothers died in the pits. Like this is his fight. Cool, great. But you see, like Meek's fight evolve and change, and like he as a character evolves and change with 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 excuse me evolves and changes with that struggle, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that no other character really does.
0: I think that's I think that's true. Uh, I enjoyed. Pretty much all the supporting characters i didn 't like ello uh, i i didn 't really care for her character, yeah, but I really liked Korg and Heroim. though i was a I was a big fan of them, uh, even though you 're right about them that the, you know their stories are thin they 're supporting characters in a run that 's going to be not that long, and so there 's only so much sure. time you can devote to them, and I think they do the job that they 're supposed to do well, which is prop up the Hulk um show us that show us why what he's doing is important these are characters who are living through hell uh that have been living through it longer than the Hulk has and so we really get a picture of why this is so horrible and why there's a fight that's worth taking on through them uh and their commitment to this uh so for that reason I really appreciated the way that Pac utilized those characters I feel like, frankly, too, like, Korg exists so that Hulk has someone he can punch,
1: you know? that and the Red King. Well, yeah, but he's a villain, right? Like, when they meet in the original thing, like, oh, we have to have that moment where all the good guys don't know each other and they fight before they're, you know, like, he needs somebody that, like, can physically match him, you know? And, like, be, like, you know, he's kind of, like, feels like a a similar role almost to, like, um, Ben Grimm in a lot of ways where it's, like, he's another heavy hitter on the team, you know? Sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say he. Yeah, he. It, they needed like a a Ben Grimm Hulk team up, and they just needed to make Ben Grimm pointy, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and from space. Yeah. Instead of talking about Yancey Street, he's like, you know,
4: me and my brothers went to Earth one time. <laughs> Enough with Yancy Street.
0: You know who else <laughs> I really liked was uh, No Name. Uh, so No Name Brood? is the Brood member. Um, mm-hmm. oh. I. I yeah. So as an, you know, an X-Men fan, whenever you see the crew, yeah, yeah. you're always, you know, <laughs> automatically cool. that they're evil, you know, that's, they're, they're, they're an evil group. Uh And so to see one, sorry, Kim.
2: I was going to say, I, uh, I, I made the comparison of, uh, Annihilus and, and like the, like the annihilation wave, not in like, uh, you know, it's a, uh, that whole thing is a conscious, um, entity, but I, I thought more that, uh, that would be where he was from. Yeah. From the negative else.
4: zone?
2: Yeah. Well, now that you put it that way, it sounds stupid. So <laughs> do you, hmm, so I, do you listen, mean... Never mind, it was a bad thought. It's fine. I was wrong.
4: <laughs> yeah, you... you, you <laughs> he just, he just
2: you. looked like somebody from, you know, Anni- Annihilus is Oh, crew. I see Dude, what you
4: mean. Okay. You submit so easily.
2: <laughs> listen, Phil, I'm not gonna have this fight. <laughs> It's not worth it.
3: You know what? He's a, he's a, right. he's in a relationship. He knows when to pick his fights. Well,
0: <laughs> when I was when I was talking about No Name Marco, you had a reaction. So you want to speak on that character, like what you thought about them?
3: Uh, uh, that's my favorite run of the X Men. That's it. Oh, it was just okay. it was unrelated. Like that stuff after everything with the Brood. That's my favorite mm-hmm. stuff.
0: Yeah. So it was just uh, again just like an opportunity that Greg Pak took to take something that. You know, there are no real brood members that have personality at all that we've ever seen before. So take a nameless, literally a nameless member of a horde of characters and give them a personality, give them a story. This is a platform where you can do that. And I thought No Name came across really well. I really liked that character. Um, and it showed me that there are potential stories there with the brood other than just making them a mindless hive of monsters.
4: Yeah, it's kind of like it's kind of like the Borg in Star Trek um, mm. when because they're a collective hive um, and if one strays too far from all the other Borg, they it's it's like it's like a satellite that is too far to communicate with another satellite kind of thing, and they you know begin to develop some sense of individuality and uh, it, I think it plays well in Planet Hulk with No Name. I like that trope. Yeah,
0: that's really cool. I hadn't even. I hadn't even made that connection.
4: I'm here for the hot takes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that I think that works really well too because we see her evolve from being like seeming more like just kind of like a creature, you know, to like being a character that actually, you know, like develops, uh, you know, a romantic relationship, and you know, um, you know, is like trying to take care of children because you know she was from a brood. Like it, it like there's a natural evolution there from like. How this warlike creature would evolve and change from, you know, being separated from that hive mind and that like
0: warrior mentality, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk about. Sorry, Kale, go ahead.
2: Uh, I only got to Armageddon. Does she take care of children? Yeah, yep. yeah it's like, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, all right, all right. What, you only got to Armageddon? What do you mean? Like, like uh, Planet Hulk Eden Armageddon? Hulk.
2: Oh. Yeah. Uh, what issues is that? Uh, it's like three quarters of the way through. Uh, literally, uh, Hulk just became king. Okay, cool. That's
0: really um, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Kyera because, and hopefully that's the right she, pronunciation. She, yeah. Um,
4: yeah, she's gonna Greg be Park so say, offended. She's gonna be so offended when she hears this. <laughs> well, I watched an interview with Greg Park talking about Planet Hulk. He he says Kyera. Cool.
0: Uh she's probably the most uh developed supporting character coming in and throughout the series, other than I guess you could say meek gives her a run for her money um What did you guys think about her story arc going from the Red King's shadow, basically like a you know a kick ass lieutenant to you know the end of the story where she's you know the hulk's wife queen, basically,
1: I thought it took a little too long. Uh, to get there, I, I would have liked for her to maybe have her turn a little bit earlier in the story just so that we could spend more time with her. Because mm-hmm. I feel like she was one of the characters that was a little underserved. Uh, As a villain? In the back half of the narrative.
4: Uh, when Kale said, I think it was Kale, when Kale said that uh, this story reminded him of Omega Men, the The instant comparison I thought he was making was Kyara with uh, Callista.
0: That was Pete, but uh, do you want to explain why you think that?
4: Well, that's uh, that's where I thought it was going. This, this, this. So, Omega Men. For anyone who hasn't read it, which you should, uh, Callista comes off as a subordinate who's trying to seize power ultimately, and that's kind of what happens here with Kyra. She's a lieutenant of the Red King's military, and she eventually becomes the object. Uh, well, a part of the overthrowing of him and becomes the queen to the Hulks King. Like Callista, she's an extremely politically driven, uh, powerful female character, and that—that's where that—that that was a comparison I made, at least.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I agree with what you said, Pete. Um, just in the sense that you know, there's only like a couple of issues before everything goes bad that we really get to spend with her on the side of the good guys. Right. Uh, And so that's kind of unfortunate.
1: Yeah, and I feel like a lot of that is kind of like, like, I get it, right? Like, there's not enough time to really do this, but, like, it's like their romance feels alluded to. Yep. You know? Like, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, like, they're in love. Of course they would get married. And it's like, okay, like, sure. I know, like, that needs to be a plot device so we can move forward. Um, But it sucks that it feels that way. Because the story is so well developed, and I believe if there was more time, it wouldn't feel that way.
0: Speaking to that, there is a moment between her and Hulk that, for me at least, was really powerful. Where, you know, after everything's kind of over, they're sitting and uh, she's, he's kind of basically alluding to the fact that there's a secret that he has. And she's like, oh, well, I want to see all of you. And then he turns into Bruce Banner and yes. she still loves him after that. And I I I thought that was so cool and so powerful. And I'm glad that Greg Pak addressed that and thought of that because to me that was necessary. If if the Hulk is going to live the rest of his life on Sakaar, then Bruce Banner is a part of that whether he likes it or not. And that was a real yes. huge moment yep. for that for the Hulk because to acknowledge that to say, "Hey, I I'm not always like this," you know? And I need to be real with her because this is how important it is to me. I just love that scene,
2: and and that's I think that's why what I got out of the marriage worked for me because that's the Hulk at his weakest, at his core, is Banner, whether he likes it or not. And you know that he opened that up to her, and she didn't, you know, slaughter him immediately. (laughs) You
0: know, huge. And think about the allegory there, right? When you know when you're with someone and you can show them your you're, you know there's the your weakest moments, your weakest points, the the weakest parts of you, and they still love you. That's you know that's when we say it's quote unquote real, uh, and so they do get yeah. that. And I just thought that was really great.
4: Uh, I like uh, the the paneling is good because when he makes himself the most vulnerable, she immediately accepts him and kisses him, and he just transforms back into the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. For more hot steamy alien sex. Hulk smashed. Oh. Hulk smashed. <laughs>
0: Hulk likes to smash. That's uh, the name of this. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, obviously, the the crux of the book is this conflict between the Hulk and the Warbound and the Red King. The Red King, though, not a lot of meat on those bones, right, in terms of a character. So, how did that affect the story for you guys? The fact that the main antagonist was not really that well-developed.
3: I mean, I don't think that, for me at least, like I don't think that uh, he was the real end goal, I think. like, I mean, obviously like, they're supposed to defeat him or whatever, but I don't think that that's what, like, really the, the narrative that Pac was trying to say. So, while he was, a, like, a flat character, he was just, you know, there to be a bad guy, um, I think that he fit into the story fine. Like, there wasn't anything good or bad about him. He just, he served his purpose, and I think that he was enough of a of an asshole like to that it was okay.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. I I think he's similar to a lot of the other underdeveloped supporting characters that we were discussing where it's just kind of like he's supposed to be representative of the greater struggle, you know? Like he's he's uh a head to chop off.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would you have liked to to have seen him get more development? Is that something that you think the book even needed? Oh. No, I there's
1: not enough space for him you know like for that to happen
4: I, I, probably I, I think it probably would have been uh, it would have enhanced the book more if Hulk had a, a stronger foil um, but I don't think it really takes away from the quality of the book either because of how good it is so All right.
0: okay so then how about this because this is to me the coolest moment in the book this is the part that I really like I really started to get into it uh, and that's when the Hulk and the Warbound go head-to-head with the Silver Savage, a.k.a. Yes. the Silver Surfer.
4: I oh. was hoping you were going to say that. Yeah, that was
1: a really cool moment. Take it away. I mean, what can you say? It was okay. Uh,
4: Silver Surfer... Okay, Marco. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All
2: right. I, honestly, I'd rather yeah. hear from Marco at this point, because it's <laughs> fucking cool, and Marco, hey, Marco didn't I'm like it. It's
3: not that they didn't like it, it's just like superheroes battling. Blah,
1: uh, <laughs> Like Marco, it's cause you're a fucking casual. You don't understand. Like it's oh. it's like
0: it's like whatever. Well, here's the context. No. Right? Yeah. The context is much, that these two are founding members of the Defenders, which we did do a video about uh called The History of the Defenders, which you should totally check out if you haven't. But the the fact that they are founding members of the defenders the fact that they've been friends for a super long time uh the fact that the hulk and silver surfer can relate to each other because look the silver surfer was not always like that you know he was a regular guy and something changed him and bruce banner is the same and now they have these incredible powers uh to see them have to go head to head when they don't really want to. I mean, the Hulk is down for a fight whenever, but, like, they don't really want to have that fight, and then you get... That's the thing, though. Yeah, he's, like, not in that. Like, he straight up
1: says he's, like, he... After he says he doesn't want friends and he wants to be left alone, he's like, I thought you yeah. were my friend. Yeah. You know? Like, he's the one person that he even looks at as right. a friend.
3: That sounds a little cooler with that context, I guess. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, That's it's like if you were- <laughs> If you oh, read me- comics or something, you'd know. <laughs> <laughs> for
2: for me, what I appreciated more was the fact that it was the Silver Surfer. You know, when they said the Silver Savage or whatever, I was like, oh, cool, this is going to be someone like the Silver Surfer. <laughs> Neat. Um, and the fact that it was the Silver Surfer, it was both good and...
4: Why was <laughs> it disappointing? That's funny.
1: <laughs>
2: because I I did want it to be someone like the Silver Surfer for the possibility of something else, you know, happening later on at some other point with the Silver so Surfer. So
4: at that point in the story, it, it was a good payoff because we had been so entranced with the Hulk being involved on S- Sakaar that the Silver Surfer was a reminder of everything that the Hulk left behind, right? This, this intergalactic, superpowered community. And the Silver Surfer, who's... A relatively altruistic personality, though his morality is complex with his relation to Galactus, obviously. Um, but ob- obviously he's portrayed as being a very beautiful soul. Um, he presents this opportunity of liberation for the Hulk to bring him back to this world that he, you know, comes from. And the Hulk rejects it. He has unfinished business. He has things to do. And it's, it's a, a great moment where the hero's odyssey is is present this opportunity to return, go back to the familiar, go back to what's normal, but the Hulk has a quest and he has to finish the quest.
0: I I definitely like that part and it really struck me. The only problem that I kind of had with it, and 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 I I don't think it's a pro like it doesn't it doesn't negatively impact the narrative, but it's like why would the Hulk even say yes? You know, like the even though he would be going back into the familiar. There's nothing really there for him. Uh, he was sent away by the people that are his, supposed to be his closest friends, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they don't want him. Uh, the last real thing that happened to him on Earth was that he destroyed Vegas. And so he knows that, that that's not a place for him to really feel free. And even though Sakar is this horrible, war-struck planet... It's still a pl- it's a place where he can go all out. It's a place where he can be what he truly is, and there is a real end goal of like, hey, I can imp- I can do something good here that no one's gonna have a problem with. You know, like I could see this ending well for me on some level, and so sure. for me, there wasn't a choice.
4: On the one hand, uh, the silver server doesn't necessarily know that, but Hulk does.
0: That- that's why I'm saying, yeah. like, narratively. In the, in the sense of, like, Greg Pock framing this as an option, to me, there is no option.
4: Well, I mean, uh, I mean, I, I, I mean, there's still things on Earth for the Hulk. There are, Just because the superhero community rejects the Hulk, there's still things like Betty Ross, his friends. Uh,
1: well,
4: for the Banner, Hulk or Bruce like, Banner? Bruce Banner makes the point when he's talking to Kyra, where it's like, you wanted to see the other part of the Hulk, the other part of me, the other part of us. They're still together. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and and I mean, like, you could also, I guess, argue that, like, the Hulk
0: would maybe want revenge. That too. He didn't seem to – well, he he did seem to – he cared about that on some level. But I think, at least from my reading, at that point in the story, he was far more interested in what was happening on Sakaar than he cared about whatever was done to him. And it's not Mm -hmm. until much later that that becomes – something that's on his mind
4: it's presented as an opportunity though you know like hulk has this window and he doesn't take sure. it and it, it does harken back because that's the story it's something he thinks about and wolver hulk is ultimately the culmination of well this is what happens when the Hulk comes back yeah.
2: but also i also think you know there's there's the altruistic side of the hulk which is also you know because at that point the red king hadn't been overthrown. So I, I, right. you know, I do think he yes, he also knew his work was thinning.
1: Yeah, I think overall it's a really good usage of Silver Surfer as a guest appearance because I think it's really easy for, you know, when you have these kind of crossovers, like, to just use that as an opportunity to make two heroes punch each other. Um, and I think Pac has his cake and eats it too. Yeah. We get the the cool fight between Silver Surfer, but it has meaning because of the the dynamic that exists between those characters. And it has narrative meaning because it gives Hulk the opportunity to abandon his uh quest, but he doesn't.
4: Yeah. It's it's yeah. I, I think it thematically works really well. And I think I think to Sean's point it is really like the most biggest oh shit moment in the story.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and it really could have turned into uh this story could have turned into you know what Marvel character is going to show up next in the arena, right? Like in the movie, mm-hmm. the animated movie, he fights against Beta Ray Bill, right, for no reason. There's no, you right. know, that's just what happened. It's just fan yeah. service, uh, and so this was handled way more tastefully, uh, and it and it actually has value in the story, this, despite the fact that I I don't feel like there was much of a like a a choice there for the Hulk. I think he he ultimately had to do what he does um the fact that it's the fact that silver surfer sees the hulk there and is like hey man we could just go back you know like i could bring you back this is horrible what's going on here i i like that that that, that we see that there's someone who cares about him that he is a valuable person perceived that way by other people not just this monstrous savage who's gonna just do this job you know yeah do do you know what's
4: Dumb thing, though. Eh, this isn't Greg's fault. This is Marvel Editorial's fault. This, is, like, weird... Like, Jeff Lowe pushed this, too. This idea that when Hulk causes collateral damage, he doesn't hurt or kill anyone. Like, the leaning uh, into Planet yeah. Hulk. Uh, this is It, it this is, is stupid, dumb.
0: and I get it, I guess. But it's not smart. It doesn't... It, it removes one aspect of the Hulk's character, which is that... He he causes uncontrollable chaos where he is if he goes too far, and that will always result in death. That's not going to result in, hey, I destroyed the entirety of Las Vegas, but guess what? Nobody died. That's stupid. Yeah, that's impossible. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
4: and it, it, it softens right. the impact. Like, oh, you destroyed our property. <laughs> Off to another yeah. world
0: with me. Um, so let's talk about the way this this story wraps up. So they defeat the Red King, and there's not a lot to say about that. Honestly, it's a battle. It's really cool. It's epic. But at that point, we would just be describing the events themselves. The next sure. like really big thing is that they decide to elect the Hulk King of Sakaar. Uh He takes the place of the Red King, and. Um, Kyra becomes his queen, and they go about the business of brokering peace among all these different warring factions on this planet. What do you guys think about the Hulk as a, a bringer of peace, you know? I dug it. I dug it so
3: hard. Like, that that part was <laughs> the my favorite out of, like, out from the story. Like that part was my favorite part where I was, like, really getting into the book, um, or, like, really getting, got invested. That was... You always you always consider the Hulk like he's grunting. he says me Hulk, me smash, Hulk smash, right whatever he's not this person who's like actually to some extent like tactical. he's willing to make peace. Um, so that's Hulk because I've never seen him before. Um, but it was also
2: Hulk that I would have loved
3: to have explored uh, a lot more
2: well and what I also like about that is that he does it he brings the peace through violence yeah. but he brings on the violence. To himself, and you know, we see that moment with uh, meek, uh, meek. Ello, and uh uh, uh,
1: uh, meek, right? Um, right. And
2: he's or like, he, okay, if you're gonna yeah, fight, or let's even fight. like how he allows the me. um,
1: the what are they the the spores? What were they called? Spikes. The spikes. He allowed the spikes to feed yeah. on spikes. him, right? Like he's he's consistently portrayed as like a martyr, yeah. right? Yeah, and like that's even established through Pox writing, you know, in I think it's like a flashback or something where he's saying like how you know, he suffered and fought for humanity, but he was still treated as a monster, right? Yeah. And I feel like that that like Frankenstein Jesus allegory <laughs> is like very strong, you know, like
3: <laughs> Hulk Hulk is a martyr it's is like, a really cool Jesus. Hulk as a martyr is like a really cool concept. Like that that's something that I'd like to I'd like to see and something that comes through in the story that is really unique.
0: Yeah. It's just really interesting that – and and again, this is why I can't imagine, especially at that point, Hulk would ever consider going back to Earth because here the qualities about him that made him reviled on Earth are celebrated, you know? Here his strength yeah. is a net positive thing. Granted, he hasn't gone on a rampage yet that's going to kill, you know, or destroy a village – um. Uh I think that's this whole book. Well, no, I mean, of of vi- like the way he destroys Vegas, you know, that's that's not something yeah. that
2: you know. There's not. There's not gross amounts of
1: bad collateral damage,
0: r- right? Exactly.
1: Um. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not Man of Steel. Well, it's also it's just like it's not collateral damage when you're fighting a war, right? Like it's not the same.
0: He's doing what needs to be done. Yeah.
1: Right. He's not just like. Destroying
0: places where people live because you yeah. know, like, <laughs> um, and and then just for me, the fact that now we're getting a Hulk that we have literally, at least in my reading of the character, never seen before. A Hulk that is about peace. A Hulk that is using uh, intelligence and tactics and uh, empathy to try to you know make things right on this planet. Uh, problems that he didn't even cause. You know, um, just trying to do things better. And create a future for himself, especially after he finds out that Kyara is pregnant. Create a future for himself that is really sustainable, and to find meaning in all of this that occurred, you know, and to make the aftermath something worth living in. I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think we we get a, a look at that too, where we see that kind of interstitial issue that we're treated to in the uh, you know the version of Planet Hook that we read. That it's about uh, Amadeus Cho, right? And the whole thing is like. About how, you know, like, when the Hulk isn't treated like a monster, he rises to the occasion, you know, and, and <sighs> saves the Earth and is a hero. And it's it's when he's treated like an outsider, like a creature, um, that he becomes that, you know? And uh, I think, like, to your point, Sean, right? It's like, on Earth he's a monster, here he's a king. Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, so let's talk about the, you know, the the biggest sort of, the biggest ending they could have had. Which is, you know, the ship he came here in kind of goes boom. And uh, and then everyone yeah. died. The end. <laughs> yeah. uh, so most people on the planet are scorched, including Kyra, including Hulk's unborn child. And Hulk has probably never, ever been madder. And him and the remaining Warbound set a course for Earth. And now the humans are in big trouble. Uh what did you guys think about that as an ending, and were you sad that a we didn't get to spend more time with Sakar and its people uh and that Hulk even had to go? Back? yeah, that was
3: my biggest thing is he didn't get a we didn't get a chance to just see more, and that was just something that I really wanted i mean it was it was a it was a good ending and sort of made everything feel serious' because my big fear was that it was just gonna be okay, like he saves a day and then that's fine, and there's no consequences, but to give it that that gravity. Um, I think it was really, it was really cool. And, uh, even though we didn't get the chance to spend more time there, it was a good way to sort of bring him, bring him back. I think
2: and it's it's one of those things where it's like, you think, you know, you know, how strong your heroes are, but then like when you see someone turn like that, le- you know, leading into world war Hulk, like the idea of a near invincible Hulk coming back to earth for vengeance all around would be terrifying <laughs> like especially he, when
1: he's more powerful than when they sent him there
2: yeah uh not and not just as a character or a person over earth but like even as a reader like the idea of that is like
0: oh shit and he's not alone <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and, right, he, he, and an he came back with an army yeah uh for me it was really sad actually i mean i obviously knew that it would happen and everything like that but It's just like, damn, he finally found this piece that he's never had. And here it is ripped from him. Obviously, um, spoilers for World War Hulk. This was not something that was supposed to happen. This wasn't something that Iron Man and Reed Richards planned for. This was orchestrated by members of the Warbound uh, because they didn't want this version of the Hulk. They didn't want the peaceful Hulk. And that's sad, but Hulk doesn't know that. He thinks that it's because of the humans, and he goes back to exact terrible vengeance. And that's horrible, because still, after everything, after getting rid of him, they couldn't leave him alone, you know? And so, imagine how that must feel for this character, who finally got something good in his life, and here it is ripped away by the same people who sent him there in the first place.
1: Yeah, who like started this whole like course of suffering that he persevered through. Only to have
0: it ripped away from him, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Phil, did you have any...
4: Yeah, I'm not... That's, like, I guess I wasn't crazy about the payoff, because uh, I'm still not super crazy about World World War Hulk, because all it is is just action schlock, really. Like, he goes through Black Bolt, and the Inhumans on the moon, and he comes to Earth and beats up Iron Man, he beats up the Gamma Squad, he beats up Amadeus Cho, Hercules, Ghost Rider, Possessed Doctor Strange...
2: Who else does he beat up, Phil? Like, Name six more.
4: <laughs> he beats up my heart. He beats up my arteries. He beats up my liver. He beats up my my brain. Oh, my he beats up my penis. He beats up my balls. Right. <laughs> um, but it's it's just like the payoff is what you like. The end is payoff for what's coming. It's a lead to something that's inferior sure. to what we got, and yeah, that's why I'm definitely. not crazy about it. Yeah, I don't disagree. It. Definitely. You know, it's
1: like it's it's it had to happen. But it's unfortunate, because, like what was built is so interesting, and I don't think that there's another Hulk story that I like as much as this one, yeah, but I think part of what makes it good is that it's short, you know, and that if it was a thing that had lasted for a long seminal run about the adventures of King Hulk, like that might have been less interesting, man really, and I mean, that's and that's
2: sort of why I put it on the same place as Vision and Hawkeye, like I said earlier, is because it's such a limited run, and we have this scope of the hook that's never been seen before but works so powerfully it's hawkeye and the vision before hawkeye and the vision were thought of you know
0: i definitely i definitely understand where you're coming from right it's a critical examination of a character who at least as far as my reading is concerned had never been looked at from this angle yeah um you you didn't really get these kind of like short focused runs by top level creators um, that have a clear beginning, middle, and ending hmm. um, that are kind of isolated from the rest of the Marvel universe, and so that made it special, especially for that time. If it came out now, it would still be good because it is good. But well, and the and the thing about that is, like,
2: if, you know, if it came out now, that was only two thousand nine. Like, yeah,
0: this didn't come out that long ago. Right. I just mean I, what Planet Hulk?
4: No, dude. Oh, that came out in like 2006. World War Hulk came out in 2007, like 2009. On uh, right, hold on, I'm gonna pull this out. 2006 to 2007
0: feels right. Actually,
1: oh yeah, maybe it's the follow up, and that's 2009.
0: Oh, maybe it's a collection. 2000,
2: maybe 2009 was a collection.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, like that's when the trade that we read came out. Yeah. Huh, Okay. Um,
4: that would make sense, but that would.
0: Like, despite whatever, whenever it came out, right? 10 years is a long time, but putting that aside for a moment, in today's uh, sort of comic book world, runs like this are not that crazy. Like, they happen, you know? Back then, they didn't. And so, if it came out now, I'd be like, okay, well, this is awesome. There's another run like that. But then, it was one of the first, I don't want to say the first, but certainly it stood out because of what it was. Um, and so that made it unique in that sense. Uh, and it's a classic run. If you like the Hulk, if you're inspired by Thor Ragnarok to want to read Hulk stuff, this is the book for you. Um, and before we wrap up the conversation about this book, I do want to point out a few things that are pulled from this book uh, that are inf- that influence the movie. So number one is obviously going to be Sakaar. Uh, the, they're the same planet, the planet that Hulk is on in the movie, the planet that Thor's on in the movie, it's the same planet. Um, the way that the Hulk gets to Sakaar in the film is the same as in the comic book. He's not sent away by the Illuminati. It's the same jet that he flies off in, in Avengers Age of Ultron that ends up going to, uh, Sakaar by mistake through a wormhole. Um, so those things right there—the gladiatorial fights, all that stuff—directly inspired by Planet Hulk. Unfortunately, though, that's kind of it. That's that's kind of where the inspiration ends, just because.
4: Is Jeff Goldblum supposed to be the Red no. King? No, I had
0: that thought too. Man, I hope <laughs> not. No, the Grand the Grandmaster <laughs> is, is like a totally different kind of character, and uh, even though he is the like the main man on Sakaar, I don't think that. I mean, I haven't seen the movie but i don't think that the story is about some big war or anything i think people are generally into what's going on there uh Sakaar is described as like a like like a las vegas in space um in the film and so it's just like the gladiatorial arena stuff is just fun like everybody's into it you know i don't know that they're going to go especially the slaves <laughs> well it's it's their entertainment you know and I, so i don't know how deep they're going to go into that stuff but
4: um, before we transition, uh, and I want to make mention that I think Planet Hulk is, uh, 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 it's high on the pantheon of suggested reading for the Hulk. Uh, Greg Pak in general, even with his Zomadeus Cho stuff, like, there's a, he clearly has a firm grasp on the, on the mythos. But if you're really looking for other Hulk content, you really should read the 12-year Peter David run too. Um, it, that's like the other benchmark Hulk run that really made, like, made Hulk comic seem legitimate and is absolutely worth checking out for
0: anyone that liked Planet Hulk. 12 years, my goodness.
4: 12 years. Award winning, too. He won ton of awards for it,
0: for good reason. Maybe we'll do a uh, book club about that one. Let us know if you'd like to hear us talk about that book.
2: Eh, no thanks, I'll skip.
0: <laughs> any closing <laughs> words about Planet Hulk before we jump over? Do we ever come back to Zakar in any later stuff? So, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's weird as hell, but Hulk's son is actually born, uh, and mm-hmm. he's named Scar. Um, so there's cool. that. And then...
4: He has a cursory relationship to the Annihilation Conquest event that Keith Giffen and Dan Abnett and um, Annie Lanning run in 2008.
2: I think we also saw it in uh, the recent Secret
0: War event, didn't we? That sounds right to me. I'll take
4: it. So it, it, it comes back. That... Um, Greg Park's work isn't has not let, it wasn't abandoned because sometimes when authors do creative work, it is returned upon by other writers. Mm-hmm. But it, it, his work has made an impact to some extent. Cool with
0: cigar. Uh, Sweet. Any other last words, or are we good to go?
1: Um, I, I just like to reiterate again. I, I really do think that this is like in my mind. This is like from what I've read. It's the best Hulk story that I've ever read. Yeah. You know, it's I think it's a really really. Fantastic, uh, character study on what makes the Hulk work and, and how you can use him as something other than, um, you know, a means to an end or a fist.
2: You know, we had that little, um, interstitial half an issue or whatever of, uh, Amadeus Cho talking to Reed Richards. And like, you know, obviously I hadn't read this at the time, but this clearly takes place during the first
0: Civil War. Um, so for. For me, was it? I think I it's right what? after it, isn't it? Planet, wait, what? You're, are you referring to the the little issue or the Planet Hulk storyline that takes place? Both,
2: because uh, Bill
0: Foster, Bill right. Foster has just boss.
2: died, and Reed Richards is looking at the Thor clone.
0: Yeah, it it one thousand percent does. Planet Hulk, uh, Planet Hulk starts like right around the time that Civil War kicks into high gear. And Hulk yeah. was gone for a while. So, like, yeah. absolutely, yeah.
2: So, yeah. So, uh, for me, this is an, a way better way of taking the Hulk off the table uh, than, um, you know, uh, having Hawkeye shoot him in the eye. <laughs> um, it's just like, you know, uh, and I say that specifically for those who don't know. That's what happens in Civil War Two. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's such an interesting thing, you know, that, like, you know, well, we can't have uh, Hulk in the Civil War. Fuck it. Let's have him go wreck something else. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: actually, uh, this story, and the one we're about to talk about, both were used as ways of getting the major players off the board for Civil War, because if they were around, there's no way that the Civil War would have happened the way it did. Um, And so... Even though it was an editorial decision, I think it was a very intelligent one on the part of Marvel. Hmm. uh, And they utilized the opportunity to tell a really cool and unique story with the Hulk, and I think with Thor, in the story that we're about to talk about. Um, So, why don't we just jump right into that one. So, now we're going to talk about the man himself, uh, Thor. Now, Thor's had some really good comics and some not-so-great ones, but I think that The big question with Thor Ragnarok is, what the hell is Ragnarok? Because for most people, that word means nothing. And so we did some research to try to figure out whether or not Ragnarok has ever happened in the comics. And um, there are plenty of Thor stories that we could have read for a book club episode about the character. But uh, we wanted to read one that was specifically about Ragnarok so that we would have a better understanding of what that is. Uh, and be able to kind of explain that and talk about that. Um, Surely we'll do a Thor behind the book in the future that's, uh, or rather book club uh, that's focused on Walt Simonson's stuff and Jason Aaron's stuff that's all really good. But for now, we're going to talk about the six-issue story by Michael Avon Oming um, that basically is the last Thor story ever, or it could be. Uh, Marvel did a series of books called The End. Uh, they did it with Daredevil. They did it with Spider-Man, loosely called Spider-Man Reign. Um, they did it with Fantastic Four. And this functions as one of those without the branding. Uh, it's actually branded Avengers Disassembled, but it has zero to do with that. Um, so I want to start this by establishing what the prophecy is that leads to Ragnarok. Uh, so, Phil, why don't you take a, take it away with that?
4: Okay, so the actual Norse mythology, how it tells the story of Ragnarok, is that at the end times, uh, humans began to abandon their traditional ways, dis- disregarded the bonds of kinship, and became uh, listless and nihilistic. And it wasn't just humans that began to fall in these uh, hard ways. The gods uh, began to break their oaths and fall short of expectations. Um, at this time, Loki and his son the wolf Fenrir uh, had been both chained up to prevent them from uh, causing more harm to the nine worlds or nine realms. Uh, They broke free and began to uh, shake up the giant great world tree that held up the nine worlds. uh, Yggdasil, I think it's pronounced. Yggdasil. It began to tremble. Vagdasil? (laughs) Vagdasil. Uh, so meanwhile, the far-seeing Heimdall, a.k.a. Uh, what's his name from... um the Wire, Selma. Yeah, Idris <laughs> What's his name? Uh, he notices that there is a vast army of giants headed for the Celestial Stronghold. Among the gruesome mass was the god's fickle friend, Loki, um, and at the helm of the ship, uh, Nagilfar, which is the Ship of the Dead, uh, to which caused Heimdall to sound his horn, the resounding horn, uh, yag- the Yagdal horn, to alert the gods uh, who, were, who were despairing and alarmed. Um, so the giant set, uh, set about to destroy the abode of the gods and all the cosmos and all the nine worlds. Fenrir the Great Wolf ran across the land with his lower jaw on the ground and his upper jaw to the sky, consuming everything in between. Along this being consumed was Odin himself. Even the sun itself was dragged from its height and across the beast's stomach. Vor. Surtur, vor. What's that?
0: Vor. Bore. That's vor.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ew.
4: <laughs> so, so, yeah. Uh, Fenrir bored everything. I use bore as a verb here. Uh, Surter, a giant bearing... Uh, flame monster with a giant sword uh, swept across the earth and destroyed all of humanity in its wake. Uh, but like the, Greek, the heroes of Greek tragedy, the gods fought Valiant to the end. Thor and the giant sea serpent Jormungand, which I believe Zygarde from Pokemon is based on, uh, slew each other, as did Surtur and the god Fryer and Heimdall and Loki. So basically, everything is destroyed, uh, it creates a silence of the anti-cosmic void, Jinnigigup. (sighs) I'm sorry for uh, far Norse listeners, I know we have so many. (laughs) But what happens, (laughs) what happens is that, uh, all of this creates new life. And the way that scholars interpret this is that it basically is, and, uh, it's, uh, metaphorical of the seasons on Earth. Like, fall is the death of life, spring is the resurrection of life, and it's a cycle. Everything is a cycle, because after all this, all of life on Earth and the gods themselves are reborn. And then the last thing I wanted to say, I guess, is that Ragnarok, as it translates from Norse to English, basically means the twilight of the gods. And a lot of Christians try to relate that to biblical end times, but not really the same thing, because that's supposed to be the end of all life, as everything is either brought to hell or heaven. Whereas Ragnarok is really, like, the cycle of life. Everything is at the end of its cycle to start over.
2: So, everything uh, Phil just said uh, sounds like the monologue that Zool gives just before she destroys the Ghostbusters.
4: (laughs) Kale, are you the gatekeeper? (laughs) I'm the gate master.
2: Alright, we gotta fuck. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's pretty straightforward if only it was always that it's, easy, um, it's easier with boys oh. uh, so that long monologue is essentially what Ragnarok is uh, and the prophecy is told that way both in Norse mythology but also in the comics Uh just add beta ray
1: bill and you pretty much that's the story <laughs> right <laughs> and also beta
4: ray bill was there <laughs> They got taken away
0: <laughs> so let's just let's just dive into this um what did you guys expect coming into this book
4: man i really didn't know what to expect to be honest yeah
0: same
1: here i i went in with kind of no expectations i didn't really know i'd never heard of this story really so Me i I was only, like, casually familiar with it because I remember reading other Avengers Disassembled books in high school. Mm. Um, But, yeah, I kind of went into it just, like, you know, with with zero expectations, just kind of trying to look at it fresh.
2: Yeah, my first uh, Thor book was the uh, Straczynski run. Mm. I I was real hyped on him after Spider-Man, and when he moved over to Thor, I was really, really excited about it. And uh, Oliver Copiel's work in that book is still some of my favorite Thor work, you know, period. So I, I sort of knew where it was going to end up. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I didn't expect it to, to be so, I guess, profound and resonant. Like there's some weird, like biblical shit that happens
4: in this, <laughs> in this series that I just, I didn't expect, you know? So the one word that occurred to me when I read this book is metal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. This book it's was super metal. fucking metal.
0: It's interesting because I avoided this book like The Plague for a long time. Uh, I didn't know w- at all what it was about, but the fact that it was a tie-in to Disassembled uh, turned me it off. turned you off? The fact yeah. that it- yeah. th- This is going to sound screwed up, but the fact that it was written by Michael Avon Oming turned me off. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. Not a fan? Uh, nah. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> this is, that's how Sean's going to leave it.
1: That's the the
2: guy who he's mostly known for art, right? Did that's, Powers? That's powers, why. Yeah. That's why.
0: Because yeah. I, you I, didn't I like not, Powers? No, I, I I think Powers is really good. It's just that he oh. drew it. Sean thought he was an art guy. I don't like it so much when artists write. I uh, get you. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, Dude, <man>. that's harsh. <laughs> oh,
0: well, you know, look. A lot of times, uh, and there are plenty of instances where this is not correct, but a lot of times those stories are not written well because artists tell stories through images and writers tell stories through words. And so, artists don't always know how to tell stories effectively through words. The same way I wouldn't think that a writer should just start drawing stuff and that you can expect them to tell stories effectively. Um, that's how I've always looked at it, and uh, that's one of the things that that caused me to be cautious about picking this up. Um, All artists listening to this, you can reach
4: Sean <laughs> at Sean's Soapbox on I, Twitter. I
0: recognize that that makes me sound bad, but... Putting you on blast, Tony Daniel.
4: I, Get ready, get
1: ready for a Matt Murphy tweet where he lists every artist that's also a writer that's great. <laughs> <Karen, laughs>
4: I think Frank
2: Miller so yeah. much? The best, the best part about that is that this is going to come out in two months, and so Sean's going to have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, but, but no, so re- actually reading it, though, diving in because of everything that's going on with Thor and wanting to really find a book that speaks to uh, Ragnarok – I was really pleasantly surprised. Um we'll talk more about why. What did you guys what did you guys think of this? Like what what did you think of this six issue uh, run?
1: I gotta be honest with you guys, I was really bored. Really? I uh I, I, I could not get into it. Yeah. I uh I, I really felt like a lot of it was very kind of popcorn comic y. Mm-hmm. And Wait, by what? the time, yeah, and by the time it got to... The good part. Yeah, <laughs> I was so, like, can can it just be fucking over? Yeah. You know, like, I, I really, like, I have to say, like, and I you know, I hate to, like, come into a, a conversation about it, like, sounding so negative, but, like, I remember I was done with the first issue, and I was like, well, that was a comic, <laughs> and by the time it really had anything for me to really chew on was like the book was basically over.
0: Yeah.
4: And I, I was really fucking ready for it to be over.
0: Uh Phil Your right. I thought the cli- go ahead.
4: Yeah, I thought the climax was so strong. Like when the the trials and tribulations that Thor goes through, like when he hangs himself like his father did, and he gets the clarity of all the cosmos and everything that his forefathers had, that's a good moment. That and then when he is dropped in front of um oh what the fuck's her name? Um the woman with the giant spikes Hello. on her head. Hello. Yeah, hell on hell, and he, his soul is deprived from him, and he withers away, and he calls for his father, and he's hell in his arms, and he's basically possessed by the Odin force after, the, after he comes through this, like, you know, uh, 40 days of the desert kind of moment, and he has this clarity. Did see, uh, transition from, from the end times through Ragnarok, like, when he takes Loki's head, and he has, uh, Surtur make him a new hammer, but he gives his word that he's not going to use him to, use it to smite him. And he ushers in the end times. I, I, it all comes off really epic in a Norse mytho- mythological way. It's
2: fucking rad, but all that happened, yeah. Issue three, it took a it yeah, took a like fucking
4: f- minute to get there.
1: And like the first two issues, like. Like, really nothing happens. Like, there's an entire issue of, like, and then Thor called his friends Captain America and Iron Man so that they could walk around and then leave. (laughs) It's like, okay, like, why did any of that happen? And, like, I don't know if any of you guys noticed this, but, like, there's, like, some straight-up things that look like art mistakes. Like, there's panels where, like, the balloons are cut off at the top and they're not reaching the top of the panel – In, like, the fourth issue, when he's talking to the Odin Force, or, like, the boy who's the ghost of the personification of the Odin Force, all the text is in blue bubbles, and then the next issue, it's normal again, and then, like, he reunites with the Odin Force, but the kid is still there talking to him, and it's, like, there's a lot of things that just are just kind of, like, okay, like, is that, like, is that just straight up a mistake, or was this a creative choice that's just not working, like, I don't know. There's a lot of little things that really took me out of it. Marco.
3: I agree with uh Pete. I don't think it was um I don't think it was anything like spectacular for me at least. Um uh, I, I I thought the the slower pace was okay like building up to it. But by the time that it was just like a big battle, I mean, I'm I was okay. I didn't, you know, I wasn't necessarily super looking forward to another fight. Like I was kind of okay, especially just having finished reading Planet Hulk, so it was just, um yeah, it was okay. And I also, so this was my first or my second Thor comic I've ever read. um And the first one was the 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 Straczynski stuff that like happens after this. uh And so I was digging that so much, so much more. I was like, wow, this is what like what what the actual Ragnarok's gonna be because I was reading the wrong book. And then I came to this, and it's like, eh,
0: <laughs> it's like it's it's whatever.
3: Com- compared to
0: what I, I just finished reading. I I really liked it. Uh, I love the fact that it started yeah. it, just, it just started with you know chaos right like basically right away and um, it, it moves so fast. I, I'm surprised you guys were saying it was boring and slow like it just I felt like everything was happening so quick. There were times where I I went back across a couple pages just to make sure that I got everything because it was so much um yeah it is yeah like he he packed a lot into these issues um and 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 when i read the prophecy um when i read when i read that it took on a whole new meaning for me uh just because you could see so many things that were happening that were exactly in line with the prophecy and all that stuff and i just thought that was so cool um and then you see things like Sif losing her arm, uh, Vol- oh, was not- yeah, Volstagg losing weight. Like, you could tell that things were really happening. And I didn't know how this book ended. I had no idea how this book ended. So I was like, how the hell are they going to get to a place where Sif gets her arm back, Volstagg gains his weight again? You know, like, there was just so much <laughs> going on. It was crazy. Um, yeah. I probably could have done without the Iron Man and Captain America cameo, but only only through the first read-through. Because I was like, why the hell are they doing this? This is just because of the branding. But when you realize that this that, that Thor dies at the end and it's all over, um, I was like, Oh, cool, this is their last team up. That 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 made it yeah. so much more interesting for me. Right. Um, go ahead, I, Gail. I guess. Well,
2: <laughs> it just it just op- and and I mean I right- re- I recognize that Thor probably you know, probably knew that, yeah. but it's also just like I don't know. It's it's fine, but um, I mean, for them, every mission is their last mission. Like they're the Avengers. No, they face Kang the like Conqueror. I don't get that feeling. I, I how no hold on. <laughs> how could you? How could you be a superhero and not go into absolutely everything you do and not think that?
4: Because they literally are uh, canonical characters. Apology accepted. Yeah,
2: <laughs> and uh, they I win just every time. <laughs> I like. I just. It felt. It felt. It didn't feel like that
0: to me at all. Well, whether or not, Sean. whether or not they themselves know it's going to be their last team up has nothing to do with what I know. You know, and like I, I didn't know it, and then I knew it, and when I knew it, it mm-hmm. was like, oh, they're never going to see Thor again in their minds. Thor is dead now, so they go mm-hmm. years without Thor being a factor, and their last moment yeah. with him is this. So it had more power for me than mm-hmm. it did the first run-through where I was just like, okay, this is just random. Uh, Phil, what were you going to say?
4: Sean, I think this only goes to show one thing. You and I are the only positive pals. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's fine. I, that's, that, like, that's fine.
4: <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: I
1: appreciate this. You know, I was very high on the Hulk book. <laughs> All of us were high on the
4: Hulk book. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, I guess I could give you that the dialogue wasn't necessarily the best. And again, I'm telling you that I don't like when artists write. So for me, the fact that the fact that the dialogue improved uh was a big plus. I thought it got a lot better around issue 4. Um
4: yeah. More like <clears throat> issue 4, okay.
0: Oh <laughs> and <laughs> and again, I went in with low sort of low expectations. So I already kind of had a thought about this, and then when I read it, I was like, "Oh, this isn't that bad." Like, there's really good stuff here, and I and I really enjoyed the action. Uh, Kale, you were about to jump in.
2: Uh, I yeah, I sort of I sort of echo your your statements, but like less so. I think on the first half, and maybe just as much, if not more, on the second half. The second half really presented a lot more questions than you know what happens you know in the narrative for me and and that was really awesome. But I also I I also just had the thought that I like they probably needed those first two episodes to uh, the fir- the first two issues to get the fans to read, you know, to get into it. Because I I, I do think Pete's right. It's very comic bookie.
0: why is that bad that's a weird
2: i know and i'm not, I'm not saying it, that's necessarily bad
0: well it's
4: interesting because there's a transition from comic bookie to like norse mythology he transitions from a superhero to a god at the end when he's confronted by the god of gods he's like you are like a child who has been caught with your fingers in the cookie jar yeah only now when you're about to die you offer me this opportunity like he's he's a fucking god
0: god he's more than a god yeah yeah so th- this book has a lot of death, a lot, a lot of death. Uh, did it feel, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of death gratuitous? Eat. No. It wasn't even right, that it was like right.
1: gratuitous because it's like it's a story about the end of the world, but like ah, it yeah. didn't mean anything to me. Mm-hmm. Like I got I got really mm-hmm. emotionally desensitized to it where it's because it was just like, oh, this person's dead. And like there was like never a moment to mourn anyone. So it was just, like, death, 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 to the point where it was kind of just like, okay, wow. you know, and then it's like, <sighs> Thor's brother dies, and he's like, and he didn't, he wasn't upset, because he died an honorable death, and it's like, really? Because, like, I feel like he's barely been upset about anyone dying, because it's I, just like, let's just keep moving.
4: Yeah, I, I feel like you went in with, I feel like he went into it with the wrong perspective. I don't think it's supposed to read, people dying isn't meant to come off sympathetic, I don't think. It's meant to come off storied, epic, like, in yeah. a way, and I think-
2: but. None of it was. Yeah. Like we never saw any of it. But that's you know uh, Loki Loki just kinda comes in and says <laughs> <"You're dead. laughs>
0: <That's it." laughs> I mean, that's not that's just not true. There are moments when uh Thor's talking and they make a point to say, Let's let's make sure that their bonfire is the greatest that we've ever done. Yeah. Like he's very respectful about some of these deaths that matter very yeah, deeply to the Asgardian people, but they're also in the middle when, of war. And there's the not yeah, the, like, not just war, the last war. And there's not necessarily opportunities for all that stuff. And I think that that that's just part of the story. When
4: Thor has Surtur make him his new hammer and he's like, yes, go and attack Asgard. Give them the greatest death possible. It's not meant to be relatable. It's meant to be, this is the old world. This is how it is and was there's a greater emphasis on a noble death. And that's like the and big like, theme.
1: You're I don't disagree with you, but I don't think that made for at least for me, that didn't make for a good read. It it, mm-hmm. it felt very like <laughs> like, the joke explanation of Hulk that Kale made in the beginning, where he's like, yeah, right, he's Dr. Jekyll, and I get it, right? Like, that's how I felt about this story. Like, it it very much boiled down to me of just, like, okay, cool, he's the son of God, but he's arrogant, and he hasn't really earned being a god, but like, he has to earn it, so he goes through these trials, but oh, what really makes him special is that he also lived as a man, and like, that's the whole thing of Thor, right? Like, I get it, but it felt so much just like, hey, like, here's what Thor is wrapped up in a bow, rather than like, a story that I felt really made me get it through the themes and through the story.
0: Okay, uh, how much Thor had you read prior to this? Not much.
1: You know, like, I've read probably, like, one or two, like, random kind of, like, you know, TPB collections of random Thor arcs, but, like, not even any that I remember by name. Okay,
0: I'm not trying to say that this is the reason, um, but, for for like, I've been reading Thor for ten years, so these characters matter to me a lot. So when I saw Sif with her arm cut off, that was huge. Like, I love Sif. Her arm is missing. What the hell?
2: That That's how it hit me. But for me, like, that moment, like, there was nothing there because, like, we never saw it. Like, I went back and, like, looked for it. And, like, there wasn't even a point where it was like, oh, shit, that's her arm. It was just all of a sudden her arm's gone. And I guess, like, that's the power of Loki. That's the power of Loki. Uh, but- <laughs> Not good.
1: Huh. Um, no, I liked it. Sean, so I think you're right, right? Like, that is why I don't have that impact is because I don't have that relationship to those characters. But I think to me that's, like, the problem with this story. And, like, maybe it is because I read Planet Hulk and then immediately read this, like, the next day. But, like, the fact that Planet Hulk put me in a situation with a bunch of characters I didn't know, had no history with, and made me care about them and their plight. And the fact that this one gave me a cast of characters that I at least knew by name. And knew, like, oh, these are Thor's best friends, or these, this is his lover, this is whoever, and I just don't care. To me, like, speaks to just, like, how, I don't know, like, tell don't showy this book felt to me personally.
2: And back to what um, Phil was saying about you know Surtur remaking Thor's hammer. Like by the time Surtur goes back and like starts destroying Asgard, I was more invested in what Thor was doing than the people of Asgard. Yeah, that's the point. Because by well, because by then it's like I mean, all right, I think
4: I figured out what's going on here.
0: Uh, okay, cool.
4: Yeah, the, the it just didn't. The story is not about the Great War. It's about the cycle. It's about Thor's
0: death. Even bigger than Thor's death, it's about Thor's rejection of destiny. It's about yes. yeah, that's yeah. It's about what he's willing to do to break this cycle that has kept his people in chains for who knows how long. And also, Odin. Odin is a massive presence in this book. His absence is 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 massive. Um, and what he's willing to do. To save his son and his people from this vicious cycle, I that that stuff hit me huge. And then those who sit above in shadow and what they've been Mm -hmm. doing to the gods and how this this whole thing is kind of just like their game and the way that they feed off the gods, like that's horrible, you know. And it's not relatable because nobody's feeding off me, uh, presumably. I mean, (laughs) like for me, I'm invested in characters here that i am not supposed to relate to and so even though i don't necessarily relate to what's being done to them i'm way into it because it's like damn this is horrible and i want thor to stop this you know
4: yeah i'm with you sean this book reminds me of another book which is the theme of our our book club episodes i read a book and i'm like oh this reminds me (laughs) of another book i've read (laughs) marco listen this is this is to your interest yep Okay, so like, I think in 1995, Alan Moore did a book. um, It was Wildstorm Special number one, I think. And it was Mr. Majestic's last story was the big chill, basically how Mr. Majestic deals with entropy. And I didn't really connect that now until I read this, but it has a very Ragnarok implication. Because Mr. Majestic is presented as the Silver Age Superman with, like, you know, he's a god who has all of the power and, you know, uses it constructively. He's extremely intelligent, blah, 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 blah. Like that, though, it's Mr. Majestic navigating the end of the universe, basically. And has a very similar grandiose prose that this book does um, as it navigates the end times. And it's really, really good. And it's very similar to this except it's one issue instead of six and you should read that too
0: that does sound interesting um let's let's talk about the art here what did you guys think about the the art in this book I thought it was
1: pretty good um yeah I think those things that seemed like mistakes to me like the cutoff balloons and everything and like errors that I noticed because I was reading it in one sitting um like really stuck out to me in a few occasions but Um, I thought in general, the art definitely made some of the bigger moments land for me. I think the, the moment that Kale called to, uh, earlier about, um, Thor being held by his father, you know, and, uh, or maybe that was Phil and, um, you know. After calling out for help, right? Like, I thought that was a really, really powerful yeah. moment. And for me, that was really sold by that image of him, you know? Like, like all of a sudden, he's, like, stripped of all his armor, and he's just, like, being
4: held like a child, you know? Sean, I wanted to make a point. I just thought about this, based on what P said. This book feels like the last Thor book. Like, I'm thinking about the interaction with Loki, where Thor very eloquently explains why Loki hates him and his father so much. Yeah. Like, even the art really does a good job of, and the paneling does a good job of ex- expressing his inferiority complex, his insecurity. Um, and this book, I think, requires you to have a, a, a familiarity with Thor and his mythos. Because it's the last Thor story. That's really what it is.
0: Right. Uh, yeah. and And maybe that makes it not a good choice for something like this, just because we're reading it. And of we're reading it with no context at all, right? Like, obviously, there's yeah. stuff that happened before this that is relevant. Like, Odin's not here. Why? Uh, you know, like, there's there's plenty of stuff that happens prior to this story that would have been uh, beneficial to maybe, maybe make you guys like it more. Um, but I also, you know, at the end of the day, stories are supposed to stand on their own, I guess. Um, but I, I do want to uh, talk about the art. So, it looks... In a lot of ways, like that, the Marvel style that existed before New Avengers. Mm. Yeah. It, it down to... Go ahead.
2: Yeah. It, I was going to say, it looks old,
1: but it doesn't look like Jack right. Kirby old. That's,
0: it feels like a 90s comic. years. You know? Like, it very much feels like a 90s book yeah. to me. Uh, and and for me, that's not in a bad way, necessarily. I just very much mm. prefer the way that Marvel comic books looked like a year or two after this.
4: That's funny. I'm yeah. on the opposite boat as
0: you. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I, I buy that.
4: I I I like Marvel before the Civil War era, I guess.
1: Um, I don't know. I think the era that this comes from is like a weird spot for me because my shit is really more like 80s Marvel and prior, and like some early 90s stuff, and like the 90s. Like, I feel like there are a lot of moments. Like, I was I was I was reading this. Um, I guess last night I finished it up, right? And I was like sitting with my girlfriend reading it, and I was like, I literally audibly groaned. Cause I got to a fight panel where I was just like, Ugh, it's just there's just so many pictures of like super gratuitously muscular guys like hitting things, and it's just like, fuck yeah. I'm just
4: like, I don't like
1: whatever, you know, like I don't
4: care. Pete's not horny for the muscle, the muscled men.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like that's just an aesthetic in comics that like doesn't do anything for me. You're like I'm I'm all for power fantasies or whatever, but like. Are you? Let's tone it back a little bit. Well, Thor
0: is a muscular guy. <laughs> Asgardians are muscular. They're hitting each other. What is supposed to happen? It's it's not it's not that they're
1: muscular. It's like, like you know what I mean, man. It's like that fucking like nineties like hyper fucking jacked style.
4: I don't I don't think that's comparable. I I don't get the the Rob Liefeld image revolution thing with Thor uh, disassembled. Um,
2: I think this might be the tail end of
1: that. Yeah, there's there's that vibe to it for me in, in moments, and not throughout, but... Hmm.
4: Yeah, I, I don't, I, I, that's not... I didn't have that correlation, I guess, but... Is it's, it's like, t- you
1: know, I, I think I sound more hard on this than like I actually feel about it, because it's not like I hated this or anything. It was just like... It was just okay. You know? Like,
4: it was fine. See, you could have said that, and I would have been like, Okay, checks out. <laughs> and that would have been good for the show. <laughs>
0: wrong um <laughs> I, I don't think it would have marco you're you're always gung-ho to talk about art what do you think about the art here i thought
3: it was serviceable it wasn't anything like <sighs> oh, it wasn't anything like, spectacular but it also wasn't like bad it was just it was okay and um i don't know I'm, I'm i'm looking at it now like after pete mentioned like talked about it and it's just like it's fine but i don't think anything is like wow did you really did you see that panel did you see that page the way that this was this was designed. I just thought it was it was okay.
1: Like there are moments from Hulk that I can think of. Like if you're like, oh, what was your favorite visual moment? That I'm like, oh, this, this, this. And for this, it was just kind of like, eh, you know, it, it just felt very by the numbers. Ooh,
2: boy, I wholly disagree, just based on the the last half of the book. But who, um, just for for Pete and Marco, were this made today? You know, and, and don't and you. You you know none of the writing changes or anything. Who would you? Who do you think would do as? Who do you think would do a better job?
4: What do you mean? Uh For my sake,
2: art wise, like for like for me, I honestly like I I I thought uh if Phil's description of it, you know, just the book being metal uh is spot on. Uh, especially for the art in the second half, I think to me there are a couple of artists that I think come to mind. But I would like to, I, I, I would like to hear what. And, and Pete let me Marco just jump
0: in real quick and say that the artist name is Andrea Devito, who did the bo- Who did the book here? Um, so just wanted to make sure that we got that out mm-hmm. there. Nice.
3: So you're asking if it was published today, who we would think would be on it, or
0: who who, we who, who would you like to see on
3: it?
2: Oh, yeah, art wise.
1: Uh, I think my mind goes right to Yannick Paquette. Uh. I think it's uh, good. I think a, a, a similar style to what he did on uh, Wonder Woman Year One would would work for me here. I think
3: I, I'll take that. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, I didn't even think of Paquette, but yeah. I, hearing that, yeah.
1: For me, my immediate thought was uh, Mr. Arts. Okay.
2: For me, he does, an even Let's put him on like, everything, or. or he, <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think metal would be it would be like a speed metal thing for, for him.
4: I right? like that you guys choose like you three guys choose like the two of the highest profile artists in the industry right now. Like two of the most elite artists that the industry has to offer. What's yeah, well reality? who else did you have on the last Thor Story, man? I'm sorry. I mean I would
3: I would've also given it to maybe um <laughs> like when I,
4: uh, that went real under the radar.
3: He mentioned Paquette. No he didn't film. <laughs> Before Pete mentioned Paquette, I, I was thinking like like a Shayner or something like me. Yeah, really? like making it more.
2: I no, I don't disagree with. I disagree with that. Really, hundred <laughs> percent. Right, yeah. I, I don't know. not a And and not that I think not that I think Shayner would do a bad job. He's a fantastic artist. Um, it, it would have a a hundred a hundred percent difference.
4: He's trying to dig his way, way out of that hole. <laughs> He's trying. He's going to try, but he ain't going to get that done. He's already offended Doc. I, I honestly, I feel
2: like you would agree with.
4: That. Now, Kale's putting words <laughs> in other people's mouths. Just keep digging, buddy. Right. Shut
2: up. <laughs> Carry on, Kale.
4: Yeah, go on. I'm just being a shithead.
2: Uh, no, I don't remember what else I was going to say. I think, I think, I, I think that you know, I was just curious about what. You guys sure would have to say about that.
4: You know what's interesting about this book that I didn't realize until I read into it afterwards is that this is the famous Rune King Thor that the internet loved so much 10 years ago. You remember that, Sean?
0: Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: That's who this is.
2: Interesting. <laughs> okay. Could you explain it? <laughs> okay. Comics internet culture 10 years <laughs> sure. ago?
4: So in book in, in communities, they get very anal uh, retentive about power levels. And this is Thor at his most powerful because he's one with the Odin Force and has the runes or whatever uh so people that really like thor uh this is this is the most powerful version of thor and they like using this as an example of him to be able to defeat other characters like the hulk at this time a year or two later became extremely radiated uh, irradiated when he came back to earth and fucking internet comic book culture and 10 years ago this
0: is what it is. Uh, so, before we wrap up, how do you guys feel about this uh, as the last Thor story ever? If this were to be where Thor where Thor story ended, would you be uh, content with that?
4: I'd probably want a better version. Like I think of other characters' last stories, All Star Superman, the last Superman story. Alternatively, for the man, um. um the uh, the Man of Tomorrow. Whatever uh, happened
1: to the Man of Tomorrow? Yeah,
4: the Alan Moore one. Alternatively, also a really good Last Superman story. Silver Surfer Requiem, the Last Silver Surfer story. Those are, like, staples of those characters' books. Or or fucking, uh, um, I think it was Peter David's, um, uh, the Warlord Hulk from the future. I can't remember his name off the top of my head.
0: Um... Oh, uh, I mean, uh, The Maestro?
4: The Maestro, yeah. Like, the, that's, like, the end of Hulk yeah. story. Um... I'd like a better Ragnarok, more time, more than six issues, like maybe 12 issues kind of thing. And better art, better art, uh, brighter, like really flush it out. And I, that was the impression I got from the, uh, uh, Walter, the Walter Simonson, um, IDW version of this, which was meant to be his conclusion of his 80s run. Though I haven't read that, I think that was the intention, and I've heard a lot of good things. I know Sean read it. Uh, my point is that I'd want to, better create a team with more of Marvel's backing on it with longer implications perhaps or as a Elseworld maybe.
3: Yeah uh, I agree with that a hundred percent I think that Thor is based off of Norse mythology and Ragnarok is supposed to be that ending finale so I think it should it's it's always appropriate and it should always be the sort of ending story Um and i think just this being better told like more like making it more grandiose by by extending it a little more or something akin to like um the kindly ones kind of epic from um from Gaiman on Sandman, like making it something more like that, uh leading up to this huge climax, I think would benefit the book.
2: And I think I think having someone other than Walt Simonson who spent
4: like an
2: insane amount of time writing Thor, not letting him have his say on this book, especially in the way it ends with Thor killing everyone to restart the cycle but stop it at the same time. Like that's just asinine. You're not gonna let this dude finish his story like that's crazy. To
0: be fair, that's actually a misconception from everything that I read. He left Thor yeah, he left Thor because he didn't want to write Thor anymore. He had he had a lot of books on his plate and he felt like Thor needed a new writer and fresh blood. Um, and so he actually started to scale back his hmm. comic book work at that point because he was just overwhelmed, not because Marvel didn't want to let him tell the story.
4: Interesting. No, but my, my idea, my understanding of it was that he wanted to end Thor, and they wouldn't let him. And he was getting tired of writing Thor because he was overworked. Like he wanted, to, like because he was getting overworked, oh, he wanted to oh, finish oh. it.
0: He he wanted it like oh well of course they're not going to let him do that
4: yeah I know that that was my point it was a different time they didn't let the, well this also do isn't that. that
0: and his IDW Ragnarok series isn't that um it's more like the aftermath you could almost view his Ragnarok series as what come what would come after this in a weird way mm-hmm. Pete <laughs> you never got to say That's your cool, piece actually. as far as yeah I um.
1: I think I agree with Phil's sentiment that, like, I I think this is the natural conclusion for Thor. I just don't, I don't think mm. it was very well executed.
0: Okay. Yeah.
2: If you, if your, if your question is, uh, would you, would I like this to be better?
0: Well, yeah. that wasn't <laughs> my question.
2: <laughs> uh, but I appreciate it, and I think, I think to answer the actual question yeah with a couple caveats you know closer closer to I think Phil's <laughs> answer, uh longer um you know let the people who who built the sandbox destroy the sandbox so that it could be rebuilt mm-hmm. uh, but yeah okay
4: i feel like that's a very dc dc thing to do whereas like all right we want to reimagine thor so they just do Ragnarok, kill Thor, and it comes back in a reimagined way.
0: That's actually not why they did it. Um, they did it because they needed to get Thor out of the way.
4: No, I know that, but I'm saying like a, like in the traditional, like the IDW thing where it's Thor after Ragnarok, right? Like that sounds like a D, if, D, if Thor was approached from a DC perspective, I feel like they would do that if they wanted to reimagine the Thor gotcha. character. That makes sense. You yeah. know what I mean?
0: Um, And then last question before we close this out all the way, do you guys feel like Planet Hulk is an effective last Hulk story ever? If you take away the very end with the the explosion of the planet, if it just ended with him as king and that's it, would that be an effective last Hulk story? I think story?
3: so.
0: Hmm. I think so. That's a great yeah. question.
3: I think it, it
1: had a – I think if the implication is, yeah, here he found a place where he belonged and he became king and happily ever after and we never ever saw the Hulk again, it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Sure.
2: I I think I agree. Yeah, because I think I think in all I think in most if not all aspects of the Hulk's character, uh this yeah, this would have been a happy ending, you know, because uh uh Kayara Ky- Kayara um, you know, even even accepted Banner, um and was, you know, was yeah. still willing to fall in love with that man that
4: monster. Of course, heroes don't get their happy endings, though. Ask Pete and Spider-Man.
1: I know that all too well. Thanks, Dan DDO and Joe, Joe Quesada.
2: And
0: Dan Slot. Dan Slot didn't do anything involved.
4: In <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Um, so, it's funny because, like, in my mind, there's only three conclusions for the Hulk as a character. He either dies, the monster he is, a la Frankenstein, um, the Maestro thing where he just takes over the world and becomes a warlord, or he just goes away. And... If you're a Hulk fan, I think you'd want him to have a happy, ha- happily ever after, which is what he has in Sakaar. So, yeah, I think this is a really appropriate conclusion. It, it, it kind of fits thematically with character, I think.
0: I think so, too. And I definitely, based on the quality alone, right, you get a writer, you get an artist, you get a team that's looking to tell a story like that. If comic books didn't have to continue on and on and on, this probably would have been the last Hulk story ever. And I actually think that this uh, Thor story would have been the last Thor story ever. Just because they work so well as capstones for an entire legacy, an entire career. You cut it right there. Maybe you want to keep Hulk around so you have Amadeus Cho, but I think as stories uh, for characters that are that have been around for this long, these stories in the in the in the idea. Maybe not so much in the execution for Thor, but certainly in the idea, I think they work as the end. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. Yes. I would
4: agree. So I guess that's the theme of this one. Uh Final Hulk Ragnarok, the end.
0: <laughs> well, speaking of the end, uh it's about time for us to end this uh book club special. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh let us know in the comments whether or not you think these stories could have functioned as the proper ending for either character um what do you think about planet hulk as a story what do you think about the avengers disassembled thor uh story and your favorite hulk and thor stories other than these what are your favorite hulk and and thor stories talk to us let us know your thoughts and of course what do you want to see us do a book club about next um you can reach out to us and let us know All of that by reaching out to us on iTunes. You can leave us a rating there or any podcast hosting platform of your choice. We are all over social media uh, at The Comics Pals. You can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you are watching this on YouTube, you can leave us a like, drop that comment with any of the answers to the questions that we asked earlier, uh, and you can subscribe to our channel for more content like this. There's plenty on the way, so stay tuned for that. And last but not least, share it with your friends so that they know we're out here and that you like what we do um so we're gonna we're gonna make the jump with that we're the comics pal signing off. Take care guys.
2: See you next week, kale Smash.